Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we're back. Okay, happy Round of applause. Round of applause. We managed to hit record, and we're talking. Okay, Joey. Yeah, yes. Um, So this is our last cut for time for uh, walking through the rest of the year. We're going to take a break during Advent, and we're in for our Advent series. We're taking a break from Acts, and so we're um, taking breaks from taking breaks. No, yeah, we're taking breaks and on top of taking breaks. It'll be great. We can all use breaks. Oh, especially Um, in December. Yeah, there's so much going on. So this is great, and everyone else will have a little bit more uh, time instead of listening to cover time, listen to Christmas music or whatever. Oh, else. there you go. All right, so Joey, why don't you give us an overview from your sermon on Sunday, and uh, then I've got lots of questions to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> we were. It's a great story in which to just stop in the middle and take a month off because this story is like seven parts long. And we only covered the first three of the seven parts, but it's a huge pivotal moment in the the history of the church. This is when the gospel clearly goes to the Gentiles like, oh, this is for more than just the Jewish nation. It's through the Jewish nation to the rest of the world. And um, so what we were looking at was the, the first part of it, act one, if you want to call it that of, okay, Peter, well, first Cornelius, this Gentile character, he has a vision, then Peter has a vision, then messengers from Cornelius show up to Peter, and then they, you know, they tell each other about their visions, and it's like, whoa, what's going on here? God's doing something, and that's where we left off the story. What had really kind of um, impressed itself on me from just this part of the story, though, is how much this huge historical, like pivotal moment in the church depended on, it relied on a human response to God's initiative. So God gives a vision to Cornelius. He gives a vision to Peter, but in in no way is he like puppet mastering or controlling these two characters to go make them go interact with each other and whatever it's here. It is now, what are you going to do with that? So bottom line from the whole just our study of the, these 33 verses was when, you know, whenever God moves, he's always calling the people he's moving to, to, to also move. Um, or whenever God moves, he's calling us to move as well. So something along those lines, I had a tongue twistery way of saying it. That was kind of fun, but, um, it, it's, it's just that God seems to always move in a way that requires our response. It doesn't override our response or, you know, turn us into robots or puppets. He moves and invites us to move with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it going to feel like, is this a weird place to just stop? And then we're going to mm. pick up in another month. Like, is there intention behind that? Uh, is it going to be hard? Is it going to feel like really choppy or are we stopping at a point where we're like, this is like been building, building, building or getting yeah, right, to this yes. new point of story. And now it's exciting to like pause here. It's like stopping at the um in the middle of like a huge battle in a movie it's right not a battle, right yes like the yeah ultimate climax in a movie and just be like oh wait Le- leaving us on a on a suspense uh yeah yeah, yeah. The, i mean it, we could have probably scheduled things where we stretched out the first nine chapters like one week longer so that we didn't start this story until next week but then we would have to or next year then we'd have to compress things to get through the section before lent so it works but this is a great story to cut in half because the way Luke tells the story 
we keep hearing about each vision multiple times. So it, we've already heard Cornelius's story twice, right? First, Luke tells us from Cornelius's perspective, then Cornelius tells Peter about the story. We got Peter's vision, and pretty soon Peter's going to recount his vision again. And then he's going to explain what happens all again in Jerusalem. And so uh, it's a great story to kind of chop up because we, it keeps getting retold and retold. And mm -hmm. there's a point to that. I mean, we've said multiple times, right? Luke needs this book to fit on one scroll. Um, it's So he's written this book as long as it can be to fit on kind of the average length of one scroll. Scrolls are expensive. And um, if he repeats something or even if... It, if he just includes a story, it's there for a reason. And if he repeats stuff, man, it's really important. So mm -hmm. he kind of does this thing where every time he repeats the story, we get a little bit more detail about it. So it's like, oh, we are learning a little bit more. And then when you read back, you're like, oh, okay, I see how that worked. And um, so, you know, Cornelius is initially described in verse two as a devout man, gave alms, prayed continually. But when his messengers introduce him to Peter in verse 21 22 they say he's upright god-fearing well spoken of by the whole jewish nation so we get extra detail um about mm. this guy and yeah um you know we find out hey peter goes to visit cornelius and he brings along some brothers from joppa and in the next chapter we find out actually he brought along six people from joppa you know there's just more detail is given each time mm -hmm. uh, so the cornelius story stretches all the way to 11 i think verse 18 um or so before we actually get to the end of it. Um, okay. So that's too much to cover in one week and a good thing to, you know, yeah, it goes to verse 18. Good story to cut up. Well, so we'll almost naturally, just by the way that it's told verse, you know, in these verses, we'll naturally like kind of have a review when we pick back up in yep. the new year. Yep. So that's yeah, great. exactly. Because when we're, when we pick it up, we pick it up with Peter's sermon and in his sermon, he says, um, he goes through the whole thing and then was the Holy Spirit. And then the next time in 11, when he's reporting on what happened to the rest of the church in Jerusalem, he tells the story again of his trance and his vision and all of that. So, and yes. what happened the week and what we'll have studied the week before. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Joey, is there anything that you had to cut from your sermon for the sake of time? I mean, you were, it was a family worship Sunday, so you were mm -hmm. just trying to engage kids with this and you had right. a ton of verses to go through. Yes. And so I'm sure there are things that you wish you could have talked about. Yeah. I mean, mostly I just focused on telling the story and only really surfacing the cultural details um, that directly relate to how we interpret the story. So there's things that I didn't include. Um, I didn't include. So uh, when Cornelius is introduced, he's introduced as a devout man who feared God. And both of those terms, it's debated whether or not devout, the word there is proselyte, um, or God-fearer are these technical terms. So you may read in a Bible dictionary somewhere that, hey, you could be Jewish, which is where you're born Jewish and you obey the Jewish law. Uh, you could be a proselyte, which is where you were born Gentile, but you fully adopted the Jewish law and all the rites and and, and uh, ceremonies that go along with it. Um including circumcision, uh, or you could be a God fear, which is where you attend synagogue and you, you know, you, you worship Yahweh, but you don't employ all of the rituals and all of the ceremonies and all that stuff, um, or just Gentile where you're not, not Jewish at all. And that's kind of a, it makes sense, but there's a lot of debate in the scholarly community about whether those really are technical terms because God fear is sometimes that phrase is used to refer to Jews are God fears. It's like, well, 
they're not Gentile. It's like, so in that case, it's a non-technical use of the term for sure. Is it a technical term when it's used of Cornelius? And is it, if it is, why is he put in both categories right, at the exactly. same time? So yes, they're next to each other. and yeah. yeah. So they seem to be used synonymously without a distinction, um, not separating those two. So again, it, it's like, oh, so he was a he was a proselyte. He'd gone through, well, maybe, maybe not. He was a God-fearer. Okay, well, we could probably say at least that. Um, yeah. By the way, we just, yeah, he's devout and fears God, fears in the Old Testament sense of, you know, the fear of the Lord at the beginning of wisdom is in worship, healthy understanding of the difference between me and God. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then what about uh, something that you mentioned last week on Cut for Time, which is just talking about the significance of Peter being the one to open the door to the Gentiles? Yeah. Why did it have to be him? Yeah. And well, that's a really good, um, it's really helpful to think that one through because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So why isn't he the one who opens the door to the Gentiles? Right. Yeah. I mean, we we just got in the chapter before that, um, right, in chapter nine, he's got to know how much he's going to suffer. Um, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Right. So why isn't it Paul? Well, if it had been Paul, then there's a really good chance that the Gentile church would have been seen as an illegitimate expansion of the gospel because we've already got a guy who no one can control. He, you know, he goes off and does his own thing. Um, he's teaching before he's qualified. Like he's right. He's Paul. Um, he's the kind of guy you love to have on your side, (laughs) Yes, but hard to kind of hard to be friends with. Um, so the fact that it's Peter is the one who, is called by God, is called into this situation. He's the one who ultimately, while he's preaching, sees that, oh man, these people have obviously come to faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit's descended on them. And he's the one who's then able to go back to the church in Jerusalem and say to all of the the really, uh, they're called the Judaizers, which just means those, um, those who were followers of Jesus, the Messiah, but believed that in order to follow Jesus, you needed to become fully Jewish. Um, submit to circumcision and all the food laws and all of those things. Um, he's the one who has the vision about the food and then is able to go back to them and say, yeah, but the spirit fell on them just like on us. So there, and that was before they became Jewish, you mm. know, was before they did all of committed to Torah and all of these other things. So it, it can't be based on obedience to the law that the spirit comes. Now, Paul will develop that, of course, theologically and Galatians, especially, um, but in terms of this narrative, it had to be the guy at the top who opens the door to everyone. If it had been anyone else, it would have been a, a splinter movement or a mm-hmm. fracturing of the church into a Jewish church and a Gentile church, yeah. which thankfully, I mean, Paul's the one in Galatians, especially who argues so strongly that no, there are not two churches. There's one church. Yes. So. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So we've got some other questions to throw at you. Yeah. 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 Had texted in. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you talked about just the cult- cross-cultural taboos broken by Peter in this yeah, passage yeah. with, re- like, talking about the diet. Um, are there mm-hmm. other um, cross-cultural taboos that we see, like, in addition to this that, like, maybe you didn't have time to, like, explain? Mm. Yeah, I, I tried to re- reference most of them. What I didn't get into discussing was, do we really know the extent to which Peter was scrupulous about keeping the cleanliness laws. 
So for instance, he says, um, you know, when he shows up at Cornelius's house, he says to them essentially, um, Hey, you, you all know, this is verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Now there isn't technically any law that says you can't go do this. There's just the understanding that when you are in the presence of uh, someone who is not a believer or who's not who's not a Jew, not Jewish, who's a Gentile, um, chances of you being made unclean are very high by their food, pro, uh, their food practices, their, you know, whether they have slaughtered animals in the house or all the whatever, right? All the different ways that a Jewish person could be made unclean. And so you can associate, but you have to go through the rituals of cleanliness afterwards. Um, so there isn't a law that says thou shalt not go into a Gentile's house. There's the ritual cleanliness guidelines that say, if you do and are made unclean, here's what you have to do to be made clean again. Mm. But there was a lot of fluidity to how those passages were understood at this time. And especially in contexts that were predominantly Gentile, because if you, if you literally couldn't walk down the street without being made unclean, you'd constantly be going through the cleanliness rituals all the time. You'd, you'd, there'd be no time to do anything else almost. Yeah. Um, if to be Jewish, but living in a Gentile city meant you had to sequester yourself into just your house so that you were, you know, and have stuff brought to you. So you were never made unclean. Um, that's not a sustainable way of life mm -hmm. uh, for anyone. And so we could call them compromises or we could call them, you know, um, spiritual readings of the law or, you know, the, the, the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. These readings were understood of, Hey, we're in this world. We have to figure out how to live in this world without yeah. becoming overly scrupulous about all the cleanliness stuff. So Pharisees didn't matter. Like they were a hundred percent, uh, they were in it. Um, Peter wasn't a Pharisee. So does Peter have a problem staying at a Tanner's house? Um, doesn't seem like it. You know, there's no record of him having an issue. Um, it just tells us, yeah, he was at he was at Simon the Tanner's house. Um, there's carcasses, dead animals around. There's chemicals. There's all this stuff that's being used that obviously makes the whole thing unclean um, for a scrupulous, especially a Pharisaic Jew. But Peter's not a Pharisaic Jew. So there's, it's it kind of strikes me as almost a bit tongue in cheek when he goes to Cornelius and says, like, y'all know how it's fairly and taboo is probably a better word than unlawful in this case, because it's not technically against the law. It's just heavily frowned on, especially by some. He's going to he's going to face that when he goes back to Jerusalem in a couple of uh, verses. So it's very it's very frowned on. It's very considered. Hey, that's not not what a good Jewish boy would do. Um, but the level to which his scrupulosity comes into effect, it doesn't seem like it's super high. Yeah, but. Eating was certainly one of those things that it didn't, you know, Pharisees could take it to a new level, but pretty much everyone was like, no, here's the cleanliness, like the food laws that you can control. You can control what you eat. And so the significance of the vision being about the food, not even just the unclean animals, but the tainted ones, you know, the common ones that are defiled because of their presence with the, mm. uh, of the unclean animals. And then Peter's understanding that, oh, this, this is about people, right? His, where we stopped, um, he, he just starts to say, um, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Right. Mm. Um, and before that it was, uh, God has shown me, where is it? But God has shown me in verse 28 that I should not call any person common or unclean. I mean, obviously he's getting the vision's not about food. 
It's about people. But what that means is if Gentiles are not tainted or unclean, um, and I'm, they're part of the family of faith now, which again, Paul will argue for in Galatians, like, hey, you're a lot like your father Abraham when you exercise faith like this. You're part of the family. Well, you share meals with your family. And so we're going to see coming up in chapter 15, that's the, that's the debate. Well, what, how, are, how are Jews supposed to fellowship with Gentiles within the church if Gentiles don't follow the food laws? It's like, what laws do they need to follow? And to what extent are these laws now no longer in effect. Mm -hmm. um, Peter will quote in, I think in chapter 11, when he's reporting back to Jerusalem, he'll say, where is it? Um, and I remembered, um, oh, and verse 16, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, um, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Nope, that's not what I'm thinking of. Uh, where's the one where, uh, somewhere he says where, you know, Jesus says, or one of the gospel writers comments on something Jesus says is saying, and by thus he declared all food clean. Right. When he says it doesn't, what goes, what comes out of you is what is part of you, not what goes into you. And thus he declared all foods clean. They're kind of, they're explaining to the later church, like, Hey, this, this is where the roots of it is. This is okay. something that we're going to keep coming back to. Yeah. Um. So just for context, is there a difference for Jews at the time between unclean and thin? Are they Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. so closely tied that they're feeling like, they are sinning and breaking the law or you said it's more just taboo versus unlawful. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, that's a really good question because we even think about our own, you know, the laws that we live under in different ways. Like, Hey, there's a law that says, you know, the law of speeding can't go over 55 miles an hour on whatever road. Right. And we sometimes talk about that law as if, hey, that's a law. You break it. You're breaking the law. You're contradicting authority. You are sinning. Other times we talk about it and somewhat facetiously, somewhat because we really want it to be this way. We're like, well, it's it's not that breaking the law is wrong. It's just that you have to be prepared to pay the penalty if you do. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be willing to pay the the speeding ticket. So don't break the law if you can't pay the price. Okay. And so Sin and uncleanness kind of have a similar dynamic like that. Uncleanness has a little bit more of that sense of when this happens, you're going to have to pay the price for it. And there were some things that happened that just you were made unclean and you couldn't control it, um, especially for women in the Old Testament. And right. um, it's like, well, you just have to go through the rituals. There's childbirth issues and, th and things that would make a person unclean. Um, and so in that case, it's like, uncleanness can't always mean sin if it's literally something I cannot control mm -hmm. um, that makes me unclean, ritually unclean. Um, and we often use that word ritually unclean in front of it to try to, hey, this isn't about who you are and what you're worth. This is your current state right now for whatever okay. reason. Okay. Um, and so sin um, has a little more of the willful, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, flavor to it. Sure. But especially in the Old Testament, um, we talk about, well, in the New Testament too, we talk about being cleansed of our sins. That that sin defiles us, but in a different way than being in the presence of a dead animal defiles us. Mm -hmm. And yet the remedies um, are similar in that they both have to cleanse or wash away something. So there is like, there's some semantic overlap between the two words, sin and uncleanliness, but they can certainly be teased apart uh, in specific 
situations. There's plenty of sin that isn't described as making you unclean in the ritual sense where you have to go through, um, you know, washing, bathing, seven days, whatever. Um, and there's lots of uncleanness that is not categorized as sin, but there is some overlap. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Okay, this is a dumb question. I'm deviating here. I just, I personally would like to know. No, there's um, no such thing as a dumb question. Well, wait and see, Joey. Okay, so Jesus, oh, like followed the law perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, are there examples in the gospels where we see him going through the rituals of like cleanliness because mm. he's been unclean of like hanging out in people's homes who are Gentiles? Oh, that's a good question. Is it actually? Um, yeah, no, it is a really good question because I'm trying to think. Like if he obeyed the law perfectly, he would have had to do that, right? Yeah, after eating at a tax collector's house yeah. or something like that. Right, right. right. Um, oh man, that's a good question. I don't know that the gospel writers ever, we should have gotten Tom Macy on here. He could answer this question for us. I don't know that the gospel writers ever picture Jesus as going through the rituals of cleansing. He mm-hmm. is baptized, mm-hmm. which it, the, it was John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for those who are turning away from a former life and to uh, this new life. Um, and yet for Jesus, that's not what it meant. Um, he instructs others like uh, the lepers that he heals, hey, go present yourself, go through the ritual of cleanliness from the skin disease. Um I can't think of a single instance where he's where we're told that he offers um, a sacrifice or a uh, certainly he would never need to offer a personal sacrifice to cover sin. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of one about uncleanness. Mm-hmm. I should read the gospels more. Well, that's what I was thinking before I even answered the question. I'm like, if I read my gospels more, uh, I right. the answer. <clears throat> that's okay. why somebody like Tom, who's read the Bible through every year for 60 years. Yeah. Could answer that question for us. Okay. Well, if he listens, we can give an update later. Yeah. Um, all right. So last question. Do you think there are any modern day parallels that we could be thinking about or we should maybe be processing on our own? You kind of talked about like taking your shoes off when you mm-hmm. enter someone's home. Yeah. But obviously that was like, that's not something that we need to like really sit and ponder, right? That yeah, was just right. trying to help us understand like the equivalent. But is there my any- My socks aren't clean. Yeah. Is there any other like application that we need to be kind of chewing on? Yeah. um, So somewhere up on my shelves is a book called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And he talks in there about how some, um, especially Eastern cultures uh, of which, you know, Jewish culture is is considered an Eastern culture, um, operate more under the idea of clean and unclean. And most Western cultures operate like guilty or not guilty yeah. uh, versus clean or unclean. So it's not an intuitive way for us to think, which is why yeah. I use the illustration of like taking your shoes off in the house. Yeah. Um, but there are there are certainly things that we are like, that's just not okay, even if it's perfectly fine and healthy and technically clean. You're just like, I'm not going to do that, right? Like the old, the, the dumb one of, if if you scrubbed your toilet really well, would you drink toilet water out of a straw? And you're like, I know it's perfectly clean, but also that's not clean. No, yeah. because unclean things happen there. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So we we do have some of those ideas where we're just like, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. Or it's like um somebody was telling me recently that like uh, it was a parent, right? And their kids will eat half of a sandwich or whatever. And the parents are like, I will not eat. The parent would not eat anything that their child had taken a bite out of. Mm. I'm like, that's the best part about being a dad is all the all the extra food that your kids don't eat, right? Are you done with that? Um yeah. but they just have it's like, no, it's it's unclean. I'm like, it's the same, right? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we have some of those like little things around hygiene or whatever. We yeah. also have them, I think, about people, people who have done X, Y, Z, or who are labeled this or that, or we, uh, you know, a person who is say homeless, right? That's a that's a label that immediately for us categorizes them as something that needs to be distanced from. For mm-hmm. most of us, that's kind of our knee-jerk reaction. Um, the labels matter. The way we talk about um, undocumented immigrants versus illegal aliens, right? The the labels matter because they push people into kind of those categories of clean or unclean. Um, so I, I think we we do use or we we don't use the words, but we have those ideas when we're categorizing and ranking people mm-hmm. based on really two-dimensional descriptions of something they may or may not have done in the past. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, if we ask ourselves, like, who are we unprepared to see in our church building on a Sunday? Like if yeah, we were greeting right, at the door right. and we would be like, oh, hey, welcome. Come on in. Come on in. Yeah, you belong here. You belong here. And then what if, like, who is it that comes to mind where you're like, if you saw him at the church door, you'd catch your breath a second. Yeah. Or you'd be like, well, I didn't know we were that kind of church. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I heard a little bit of it, honestly, a couple of weeks ago, a prominent politician visited on a Sunday. He was here in first service with his wife. Uh, Very respectful. Like there was no, nothing inappropriate, nothing untoward or whatever. But a couple of people were like, I didn't know we were that kind of church. Like, you mean a church where evangelicals can come regardless of their political persuasion or opinions? Yeah. Gosh, I, I, I hope so. Um, but no, that was unclean because of mm-hmm. associations or who the person had been with or part of what in what administration they've been part of and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. yeah. And thankfully that was minor. That was like, you know, one or two people who were like, eh, and half joking, half serious. So right. I don't take it too, uh, it doesn't, don't take, take it hard or anything. No, um, I know. But there are times where. I think we all know the people that we might in our minds see as like other from ourselves. And mm-hmm. so like, who yeah. do we need to reconcile with in that, in that space? And that's maybe someone personal, but just like a group of people, we got to right. figure that right. out with the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I did a great job of applying it at the end of the sermon, but it, it did occur to me that it, Peter's like, um, Cornelius, Greek soldier, enemy, unclean. There's so many reasons not to go. And I think the only the only reason he went was a vision, and then the vision wasn't enough. He's still thinking about it. He's like, "Gosh, I have, what did that mean?" And so the spirit of God has to go, Peter. Three guys are looking for you. I want you to go with them. Okay. It's like <laughs> let me yeah, spell okay. it out for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just gave you a vision, revealing something here, but I can see you're not quite getting it yet. When these guys knock on the gate, go with them. I sent them. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's why, man, when God moves, we have to, we're, he's calling us to move too. And and that was Peter's moment uh, to decide. And, and <laughs> is the church, uh, is the church going to be for everyone or just the people that are like me that I like? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we're headed into Advent. We'll pick this back up yeah. in the new year. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that'll be great. I'll enjoy a little break. Yeah. Yeah. Well, four weeks for Advent, and then um, oh, it'll be fun too because like the fourth Sunday of Advent is Christmas Eve. So we're gonna do the fourth Sunday of Advent in the morning at nine, nothing at ten forty-five, and then Christmas Eve at four and at six. Um, but then we'll have one week after that. That is a bonus week. Uh, before we jump back into the book of Acts. And so I haven't decided what we're preaching on that one Sunday. So if mm -hmm. our listeners have suggestions, if they want to hear us cover some topic or some passage Whoa. or whatever, uh, text it in or email us or whatever. And you know maybe we'll draw something out of a hat live on Sunday morning and then just talk about that for 20 minutes. Okay. How would that be? And it's your you're up for preaching because like maybe oh i should have double like, checked that if yeah it was jeff i don't know if he's gonna agree no we'll put tom up we'll put tom up and we'll just draw it out of a hat and say hey this is what we're talking oh, about no, this sounds kind of fun we could this could be fun we could do a an ask me anything sunday where we, we like can't... grill the pastors but yeah yeah like grill. yeah yeah do you think we can get that by the elders i don't know i don't know Okay. Cool. Well, if you want to see an Ask Me Anything Sunday, then you have to email us or text us. So it's yeah. not just our bad idea, but we'll collectively share how bad the idea is. And if it and flops, then we all are to blame. We'd be like, hey, the church wanted it. I mean, itching ears. You got to give people what they're asking for. So. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Joey. We'll, we'll <laughs> see what, it, what comes of it. We got a month to figure Who it out. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see what happens. All right. Well, uh, we'll see. We're looking forward to the Advent series and um, mm -hmm. just so people know, we've got an Advent devotional that we yes. are. Um, it's like a companion resource to the Advent series that we're doing, as well as our regular weekly discussion questions. So Yeah. Yeah. So you'll have the oh. discussion questions option or the, the Advent devotional. If you've texted Advent to our number, which I can't remember off the top of my head, um, then it, it, it sent you a automatic, like, here's the overview, but every day of the week is kind of a different spiritual discipline or spiritual practice that walks you through the season of Advent. So it's going to be pretty great. So, and I think um, John Mark crying in the background because he fell and hit his head is probably the sign that we're done. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.